You don't have my consent. Good. Well, I mean, nothing. Just the way I like it. Nothing. Um, nothing big happened over the weekend, right? Like nothing comes to my mind. <laughs> New news. <laughs> what? Uh, nothing at all happened this weekend. Nothing. No, not that I know of. Are you not not one thing. Did you hear me not say the part about new news? Do you not watch the New Heights podcast? What? Uh, nothing? Nothing at all? I'm the winner, bro. Get over it. Well, on behalf of um, a semi-regular Green Bay Packer fan, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you, uh, you're uh, 20, since 2018, Kansas City Chiefs. Won the Super Bowl? 17. Oh, Eight, that's right. No. Sorry, a year early. <laughs> I got there a year, two years early. We won in 2019, didn't we? Uh, 50, yeah, 54. The, yeah, because the last 2018 time, was the Eagles, and that's when Johnny last, bandwagoned. The, uh, Johnny is far from bandwagon. The last time the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, though, the whole country went into... Yeah. It disappeared. <laughs> that's true. Uh... Well, that was certainly a better weekend than the uh, film we got, the opening release, um, which was fun. We'll get into that one. But uh, listen, I was uh, like, someone's jumping ahead a bit. Not, no, I'm still waiting for a congratulations from don't you, sir. You're, you're... <laughs> congratulations, Kansas City. Hey, there it is. But not you. I'm gonna make that my ringtone, folks. <laughs> Dude, I mean, <laughs> I call. Brent's gonna call me. Congratulations, Kansas City. Congratulations, Kansas City. <laughs> I have to call you like three times because you just like hearing it. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Um. All right. Well, then off script here. Let uh... everybody doubted us. They oh, said we weren't oh, gonna make the playoff. They please. said we were gonna be last in the eight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is that narrative worst, is ridiculous. But that is the worst were, narrative you can give. Yourself. But there were people saying that, like yeah. that, out of the AFC West, the Chiefs only got worse, and all three of the other teams got better, and that was the narrative going into the season. And, and you can respectively say that because they lost Tyreek Hill. Absolutely. But they made, and all the other teams went and got pieces. They made they made the right moves and they won the game not because of Patrick Mahomes and that is all I was looking for. No, they. I mean, they won the game because of Patrick Mahomes. No, they won the also game. Also, the rest of the team, the defense. That was a team team win because if you look at it, quarterback stats. If we're going to call it that, Jalen Hurts was a lot better. So I mean, I wouldn't say a lot better, but you're right in the sense that as a unit, the the Chiefs came into the second half and then absolutely mind fucked the Eagles defense and walked in two touchdowns. I, I wouldn't say mind fuck. It's like what we've been known the entire year. They just don't adjust. Dude, it's crazy. <laughs> but but you know who does adjust? These nuts. Oh, not where I was <laughs> going with that one. Um, no, but let's 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 switch gears to a different sport. To a different genre of our the sport of family. Not, not. not oh, I was gonna. Just oh shit! I just realized what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess uh, from one goat to another goat. Uh, 
the film this trailer came out last week. We didn't. I'm talk sorry. About wait it. a minute. One goat. Are you, are you saying Pat's the goat? He's he's there, man. Like I mean, oh, it, I'm yeah, not gonna, I'm not that. I'm not a fucking idiot. Brady's out the league. Pat Mahomes is number one. Well, listen, Mahomes can never be overgoated to Brady because when they face each other in the Super Bowl, Brady showed himself the you know the, the goat versus the kids conversation. But anyways, mm-hmm. uh, let's discuss uh, off the bat the trailer that dropped last week for Air, a movie that I mentioned in my anticipated films of the year. This is Ben Affleck reteaming with Matt Damon. They wrote the film. Ben Affleck directed the film. They star in the film. It looks like it's not going to be great, but it looks so much fun. It does not have, like, there are people who, this is not the targeted audience, but if you like the cast that they have gotten together with this, I mean, Chris Messini's in it, Chris Tucker's in it, Marlon Wayne's. I mean, they have, if Violet, you're a dad, if you're a dad, you're going to like this movie. But like there's there's so many I don't know it just it looks so much fun it looks I mean it could have just obviously dropped on Prime but they chose not to do that I I think this is going to be a pretty fun movie I am looking forward to it for my reasons and those who don't care for it shut your mouth but I am still glad that um we're getting this because anytime Ben Affleck Matt Damon do something together I feel like it doesn't um get talked about as much as it used to but I mean I, I practically you know grew up watching these guys in the ni- the late 90s and i know you certainly had your run with them too in the early 2000s so i'm excited for it i, I will do, do kevin smith what no I-, I know i'm just oh, like <laughs> what are you i'm the one with no to? camera and then i can't even understand your face <laughs> i know uh, uh, but no, i'm looking for air i i think that uh we've it's been uh, probably what a month and a half now and there hasn't been anything too great out so that that has a little bit more promise and then yeah. back to what you were saying up we want to talk mm-hmm. about family uh we've got our first um look at what you could say is uh 116th or one eighth of the movie uh the new fast x which means yes 10 um trailer i'm surprised they just don't call this movie facts where the s is an x and just kind of roll with the uh with the way these title movies are but yeah, I mean, this movie really reveals everything, and it's not even by Sony. It's not a Sony trailer, which is even more funny. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, we've we got to see our first look with Jason Momoa playing this big bad guy that apparently is from Fast Five because you know he was in the movie. We clearly saw that as bright as day, and then you also get Brie Larson as a a friend. We don't know what kind of friend yet, and then just the return of like the whole family and all the action and all the insane set pieces and everything that you get from a fast and furious movie where Dominic Toretto is just um, he's, he's a man with no sleeves and it really shows it. You say a man, a man with no sleeves. Oh my God. <laughs> you know how no funny it would be if people would just like, Start showing up to the movies wearing the black. I caramba, it's the men with no sleeves. Oh no, you killed my father. Prepare to die. That's how he's known uh, across the world. He's known as the man with no sleeves. You know they, I don't know they. This the this movie reveals a lot of the the big action pieces, which looks fun. Um, I just wish some of them they would keep to the secret, like what they dropped on Super Bowl Sunday. 
I mean, just like keep something secret. They reveal all the character arcs and twists in this trailer. They show us all the action set pieces. They, I mean, what is the, I mean, it's a four minute trailer of a probably two and a half hour long movie. If I'm going to make my prediction now. And I still feel like we've just been like, it's all been laid out for us. And dude, I can't get over how old all of them look. Oh, yeah. Especially because they open the trailer with that scene where they're all sitting around the table, like always. Just like at the end of the first movie. And like, and it's even cutting back and forth from the first movie. And I'm just like, holy shit, all these people are like old as fuck now. It's been almost 25 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, we've, it's, it's been quite, quite the run, or I guess you say quite the drive. And from all the behind the scenes stuff I see, dude, it's like Vin Diesel's on crack. Michelle Rodriguez is it's not on crack. scary, dude. He's every interview I see with him. He freaks me out because he goes from like Dom, who is like man, a few words, badass, stoic. And then he's this like, he'll come on a red carpet and do an interview. And he's like DJ Khaled, pretty much. It's weird. That's fair. Yeah. He, uh, it was really funny is during, cause they did like a trailer premiere, which is really freaking weird. Um, yeah, they'd held an event for a trailer drop of a four minute trailer. That is too like, fuck you. <laughs> like what, what kind of ego stroking is that? Yeah. The, uh, it's, it's a um you know but they they reveal a lot uh in the trailer but during um when i'm trying to say it they were interviewing vin diesel and he talked about like who he would want to see in another movie in the next movie the last one hopefully and he was talking about robert downey jr playing this like ai technology system that is basically just the next level of what um driving cars remotely and the futurist of of all that stuff could be the case and are you saying he plays the AI or like, cause I could like also he, see him. What if yeah. he's like the, uh, an Elon Musk type trying to make electric vehicles a thing I, and like eliminate drivers. I see. I have no idea because I mean, I, it, it's just wild to think about, but it, yeah. Like you're saying, it's real funny seeing Vin Diesel off screen. Um, mm-hmm. One thing the, that we, I saw over the weekend too, was that they are now pushing forward for a, fifth or no fourth chronicles of like a riddick film uh, i don't know if you remember those uh, yeah i in. mean no of them never seen them they're they're not terrible i mean they're certainly like a cult classic of his but like i think when you're looking at vin diesel like if you're like to put him under the knife kind of he always can like his returning to old material is what he's successful sex success for uh, I mean, obviously with the Fast and Furious, and he's done multiple Riddicks, but he's done the multiple Alexander Alexander Cage movies, the Triple X. Mm-hmm. Um, yet when he does these newer projects that like are supposed to be maybe opening to other IPs, they're not so successful. Bloodshot. Um, Battle oh my Lock, God, was Bloodshot that one where he was like heart robot? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. where he was like right a Marine. Before- right before the i'm pretty sure it's based off a comic correct uh i just want to shout out i believe that the last witch hunter is probably the best thing he's done outside of the fast and furious franchise because i just that that mythology within that world is pretty cool um also why do we not have a pacifier sequel i I think (laughs) everyone demanded that one for a long time 
I'd rather see a sequel to the tuxedo, but that's just me. Are we gonna debate the tuxedo? I think they did make a sequel to that though, if I'm being yeah, but it, I don't think it was Jackie Chan. Definitely not. And that's my boy. But yeah, I mean that's that's just like it's a really interesting thing though to look at. Is like he tries to do these outside worlds of characters, and like I mean he's uh, he's Groot. We'll be seeing him in Groot soon. <laughs> I mean it counts for something, even though he voices it. I know you put your hand up, but um to cough <laughs> but uh i mean his voiceover work is probably his best work and it's also his easiest work yeah because it's the iron giant and groot and he barely he has also, to say anything for those but he, but he's all yeah but he's also pretty underrated in that factor i mean i i, I honestly think he's a fascinating human being because he's able to take such you know strange ideas for you know what cinema is like I don't think there's any, many actors that have, that could take what the Fast and, Fast and Furious franchise has been and blow it up into like this multi-billion dollar franchise. Like I don't think anyone had the idea of this. I, I don't know, man. I feel like it doesn't have as much to do with Vin Diesel and it has a lot to do with James Wan or and who and like the direction he decided to take the franchise in 5 and like then just jumping off of that from there. But I get what you're saying. I just I don't know how much Lynn. directly influenced Vin Diesel had to the like shift of tone in these movies. The the director you're referring to is Justin Lin. Justin Lin. Yeah. James Wan did Furious. God, I'm racist. And yeah, you're fine. You're fine. But I, I I get what you're saying, how the directors have definitely added their signature touch to it. But that's that's cool. I I mean it's it's we've gotten a couple spin-offs, maybe not as much as we thought, but I mean, it's okay. Uh, yeah, we can we can shift side. I mean, I I, I know I'll be there opening night for this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I guess then quickly we'll run through these other couples or a couple of them before we get to the two big ones. But first off, like there was a very quick Mario trailer that kind of like caught me by surprise. I, I, did, mm-hmm. I did. I did catch this one. Right. It's the basically it's a made up commercial for their plumbing company, Mario and Luigi, but they're using the song that was the theme song for the like Super Mario Brothers super cartoon show or whatever from the 80s, which is like this ridiculous animated show from the Mario world that also had like live action elements and a bunch of double WWF wrestlers from the era like Hulk Hogan ended up showing up on the show and whatnot. Like Magic Johnson, I think, was also a cameo on that show. Uh, and they just took that song, redid it, and put it to like these put it for these new animated characters as like their plumber commercial. And I thought it was an ingenious bit of marketing because any of the kids that are gonna see this are gonna be like, Oh, cool, it's Mario, yay, bright, colorful. But any of the like adults and parents that are gonna see this are gonna be like, I remember that from my childhood. I cannot believe they're referencing this. We have to go see this movie, and I will be taking my seven children and buying eight tickets for this movie. And it's going to make money. I no, think it's, it's a really impressive bit of marketing. I I honestly wouldn't be surprised if this is, like, top three by the end of the year. Like, this movie's going to own April. There's not much comes out in April, so this movie's going to own the whole month, and it's just going to run very strong. I hope it runs strong, because we haven't really had a – I mean – in terms of like the IP that this is, we haven't had anything like as a successful in this uh, in this area. Isn't John Wick April though? I think that's the one that's going to compete with March. it, right? March. 
Oh, it is in March. And and the numbers for John Wick Four haven't been generous. And just as on that conversation, they announced the other day that that movie John Wick Four is going to be two hours and forty nine minutes, and that is that is too that is a long time for an erection, folks. But we'll it's a, yeah, it's a long action movie for sure. But if I mean, if it is the last one they're doing and they're sending them out with a bang, I don't mind. That is definitely. Uh, a movie I yeah, watch I'm, ex- I'm excited times. for it. I I think people that complain about the voice of Mario just probably have um, their own issues that they haven't figured out yet. I mean, it's not a good voice. <laughs> it's you have you're not gonna. I I get it, but you're not gonna be able to sell a Mario film with the voice of someone that's not well known. I think. I don't think that's totally fair. I think I think Teen Titans Go was able to use the original voice cast and also give them their due diligence by like crediting them as the top actors, even in even though they're in movies with Kristen Bell and Nick Cage and yada or like whoever else is in that movie cameo wise. But like you, but when someone is someone is so iconically this character, and I know Mario is a character that he doesn't like talk. He doesn't have long stints of dialogue in the games. Just as um, to say, like a couple of catchphrases. What? Just, just get the guy. Off the bat, you, you, you say Teen Titans go. I pulled the box office and made twenty nine total in its U.S. run. So I think that was a bad example, but it was more just an example <laughs> of a time where they actually credited their actors that like I, made the characters popular. I hope that this is a success though, so they can branch off with the characters within this whole nintendo universe and kind of like open up a new world of animation that can be fun like a seth rogan super smash brothers cinematic universe baby uh yeah there's hopefully there's room for growth i gotta imagine but yeah you gotta imagine dragon these nuts across your face Mm -hmm. (laughs) well actually i don't really remember what any specific any what I don't remember the specifics of anything that happened in the Indiana Jones trailer that didn't already get discussed oh, in the first one. There's oh shit, I didn't even realize that dropped. Um, interesting. Uh, there's a trailer that dropped as we we're talking. Um, mm. it's the um, the Tetris trailer with Taron Edgerton playing the creator of Tetris. Uh, no, they show a little bit of Mad Mickelson. Like his villain, they showed probably more scenes of him than anything. Um, but there's like a couple crazy action scenes. But other than that, yeah, I, I definitely see what you what you mean. But but I mean that's 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 fine. Like we don't want it to reveal everything, so I think we're completely fine with that. True, very true. It's just there's just not much to discuss, so we could probably just move on to Flash or Guardians. Uh, I mean the Guardians. What more can we say than like what we already know and don't know? That's true. We just need to watch this movie at this point. I, I will say what I mentioned in our conversation was this Guardians trailer did a pretty good way of like tricking the eye and not making you think that someone's going to like people are going to die within this film. Like they kind of made it more uplifting where people I, I wouldn't be surprised if people that go to watch this don't know that this is the last time until they're in the film. So it's it's certainly between areas of of that, um, and then to mention like it's probably going to be the best MCU film we have this year, knowing our conversation to be have, but it's a collection of heroes that everyone loves, and I mean this movie is definitely going to be the a top seller in, in box office and just overall like 
the what these actors were able to bring off the comic book into the into this world that James Gunn created, and it's like a send off for James Gunn into DCU. So, I mean, I, I it's it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a big hug, and then you're basically gonna be watching the funeral by the end of it. <laughs> Something bad's gonna happen. I just know it. The so. only the only way this movie doesn't turn out amazing is if for some reason James Gunn out of spite of being fired purposely sabotaged the no. production of Guardians 3 and I I don't I, believe that's the case so I, I think this bet. is easily going to be one of the best movies of this year especially in the just the realm of the MCU but I can't wait to see what happens with these characters because it will most likely be the last time we see a lot of them. I I said my bad things about James Gunn on the last pod, but I don't think he would ruin what he brought us with with Guardians. Like that is that is special to us. Of course not. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm saying. It's like the only outra- most outrageous circumstance of this being bad would be that. Fair, fair. Uh, the Flash trailer. Um. We got a good three minute look. Speaking of James Gunn, this is his favorite movie ever. Apparently, he he said this is the best superhero movie he's seen, and like that, I mean, you have to be, uh, you you have to be smoking your own supply at that point because I mean, not even looking at the controversial side of this and like how they're keeping Ezra Miller at the moment, but they're just like there just looks to be so much going on in this movie. Um, I will admit off the bat, at least it looks more watchable than previous DC films. Yes, I'm looking at you, Black Adam. But I think there's still something to have here. And I don't even mean with us seeing the Batmans, uh, the Michael Keaton and the Ben Afflecks. And I know people mm-hmm. out there are talking about oh, Christian Bale, but that, that's just not the case. Um, because he has said on multiple occasions, he's only returning if it's Christopher Nolan. And Christopher Nolan's not doing that. Um, but we get our look at General Zod, which I had no idea he was going to be what looks to be the main antagonist of the film. I thought he was just going to have like a quick cameo, but it looks like he has bigger, uh, bigger role in this. And then we also get Supergirl who I, I'm not familiar with the actress at all. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Did you say Batman's going to be the villain? No, General Zod. I might've, I mm. might've, but I was expecting like, mm. so. Oh yeah. She, she, this is like her first big film. Sasha Kala who plays. Right. For Supergirl. So the thing about this trailer is I was always a little bit iffy about how they were going to actually lay out the Flashpoint movie in this kind of universe and how they would play off the different characters and who they would cast in this Elseworld timeline after Barry goes back and tries to save his mother like by running back in time. And clearly they are pull- they are pulling a lot more from this comic than I than I first expected. They have uh, kind of tweaked it a little bit, obviously. So instead of Superman, it's Supergirl. Instead of Thomas Wayne, the father of Batman, being Batman in this world, you just have Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne as Batman, as like a different version of Batman, which works perfectly for the sense of like getting that fanfare and bringing in that nostalgic like, Hey, we're bringing him back. Come see Michael Keaton one more time after not getting to see him for 40 years almost now. Um, But the fact that there actually seems like it seems like they are sticking pretty close to the Flashpoint source material with 
the actual storyline. He is running to go see his uh to save his mom. He has in, basically instead of the overarching conflict being a war between Atlantis and Thermoscara led by Aquaman and Wonder Woman. And like, that is a world ending war because they're the two greatest armies in the DC universe. They're going back and like reestablishing the Zod takeover from man of steel, which man, if they were doing shit like this at the beginning of the DCEU, I feel like a lot more people would be on board. This is the kind of connective tissue kind of stuff that like people really liked. Remember everyone, I feel like one of the universally beloved parts of Batman v Superman is the opening scene where they put basically Ben Affleck into the opening or into the finale of Man of Steel. And I think that they're doing some kind of like that nature thing is, excuse me, is kind of representative of like how much faith James Gunn personally has in that material, that former material. That he they can like finish this movie up. I don't know. I've I've the fact that we are actually seeing a flash movie that looks wash watchable, all the Ezra Miller controversy and bullshit aside, uh I don't I don't know how that's all gonna play out. I really think if Warner Brothers is smart, they're gonna one and done this and not try to keep them around. Cause I know they said they're trying to better themselves, but God damn it if he didn't fuck up a lot leading up to this. <laughs> he only kidnapped one mother and daughter. And daughter. And I was about to say uh, one mother, no, one they, daughter, one karaoke machine destroyed. Yeah, like what you're saying, um, if they want they have to keep a good nature about this. Like they can't have anything bad linger over them if as they move forward. Um, because who's to say this won't happen again? Like that's just that's the shitty part. I I think uh this won't be as bad and uh i don't know i mean it, it looks watchable it and i have a feeling that the i don't know if a runtime came out but the only thing i think that, that could really hurt this is that it's just maybe 30 minutes longer than it needs to be because there's so much material but but we'll see you also don't want to have it to be too short so I, it's gonna be hard to find that middle ground but we'll we'll get there i mean this comes out a week before Indiana Jones, so it doesn't have that much time to make its money, if you ask me. Um, but yeah, we can we can send off there and, and go into um, the big stuff. Okay. Then I put oh, in shit. the theme song, put in the theme, theme song. You should have went from Air, as in Michael Jordan, to Last Dance, Magic Mike's Last Dance. Damn. That's ridiculous. I don't like that they're even the same title now. All right. You want to do the intro? Dude, I love that you're spearheading this kind of whole conversation. This is the most talkative you've been on an episode in a while. (laughs) Uh, Well, I actually have had breakfast, so I'm not angry. (laughs) Dude, tell me about it. I am, like, fighting my eyes from from falling down because I've watched – when I got home at like 2 a.m., I watched my movie that I picked, and it was really you good. Just watched that at work last night, <laughs> dude. I don't know that blood and I, I, that we're not here to talk about that, but dude, that movie was fucked. Okay, this is how I went. I'm not even supposed to be here today. 
Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. No. No, you. You complete me. I'm the king of the world! If you don't have a good sense of humor, you're better off dead. 69, dudes! Welcome back to the Center Rebels podcast. Uh, I am your co-host. Joining me is uh, a one-time Super Bowl champion. Oh, no, sorry. Two- I forget that you were a fan before 20... 20- yeah, we can have this conversation. I'll draw my timeline. The Rams leave in 2016, and we decide, me and my brothers have to decide who we're going to root for. It's between the Green Bay Packers and the Kansas City Chiefs in 2017. In 2015, we actually went to Arrowhead with a friend of ours who's a huge Chiefs fan. It was fucking amazing. It was freezing. We got Arthur Bryant. But that is why I then decided to root for the Chiefs throughout the 2017-2018 season. And then in 2018, boom, we got starter Patrick Mahomes. And by 2019, we're Super Bowl champions for the first time since like Super Bowl five or whatever it was. Yeah, this this is mostly just me coming from the fact that like the champions that I have now faced with in the last calendar year being the Georgia Bulldogs, the Houston Astros, Golden State oh, Warriors. Dude, there have been so I, Jay, I like, can't stand that brutal. the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup Avalanche, or KU won yeah. the national championship. Or the fact that the Rams, right before the Chiefs, my least favorite team was the fucking Super Bowl champions. That was miserable. The Bengals fucking sucked in that Super Bowl, and now we're here, yes. so I'm happy. So it doesn't matter. It's yeah, it's 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 been the only. I think I don't know. There, I'm, I have faith in the basketball season this year, but yeah. Um, well, if I our fantasy it, basketball team goes the way we need it to go, because I mean, if you look at the matchups today, what day does that reset? Like, what is the day? Is it Monday? It, Mondays it does, but with it being the All Star break, it's another. Week. It gets an extra week. Yeah, which means like the yeah games won't resume till next Thursday. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, speaking of basketball, we got ourselves another another last dance. Uh, in that case, that is of the legend Mike Magic Mike. Magic Mike, the last dance. Uh, right off the bat, Steven Sodenberg returns to the helm. Um, legend has it that he was big on XXL. He edited it, choreographed it. I mean, everything that you could do. Choreographed it? I meant cinematography. He shot, okay. He I know. Hey, hey, maybe he did. I would not put it past him. All right. The Academy Steven winner has Soderberg is a secret stripper. Um. Yeah, so he returns with Channing Tatum uh, for Magic Mike 3. Uh, this was originally supposed to be just, you know, up to HBO Max streaming. Like, they had no interest in in shopping this around. And then with all the sh- moves and shifts that have new leaders, you know, operating HBO, they decided to send it to theaters. Only 1500 got it um, as it expanded. It won the box office weekend. You know, usually the Super Bowl weekend doesn't generate much um gross uh they it was actually pushed back a whole week uh because of the grammys the grammys um were last week but uh this movie re- has Channing Tatum returning and right off the bat they kind of tell you that covid uh 
ended all of his like furniture making uh, uh, entrepreneur run that he was going on. And he had to kind of like resort back to just doing pickup jobs and whatnot that he finds. And then he meets uh, Sima Hayek at a party, uh, her character, and she finds out that he is the legendary Magic Mike and she is looking for someone to just stir her life up. And there is about a seven minute lap dance scene uh, that is just honestly very chaotic uh, of dry humping and furniture that is just being rearranged. Uh, yeah, uh, shown. I mean, shown off. If you ask me, I would love to have some of that stuff. But yeah, they they did. Um, they, that was about it. <laughs> then she takes him to uh, London for what is supposed to be like this reincarnation of this theater that she has, and she wants to bring, I guess, a, a new life into it. It's very much the plot of a Steven Soderbergh film, where instead of giving you the meat and the bone, he gives you like everything that comes with it and it's very interesting uh direction because when we're watching this movie we're like an hour into it and we've haven't had like only any contact i mean the intimate intimacy is there but what into me i see yeah what what we as men enjoy the most about these magic mind movies is the flaunting of the really not much outfit wear and tossing around (laughs) but dangle wangling yeah they're they're just we finally get like, you know, this is a two hour movie and it feels way too long for not getting hardly anything. There is a nice, like maybe 20 minute whole dancing of like everything that they've been working on. And it is capped off by this insane water dance sequence that just really, uh, really turned me on in ways. Um, <laughs> I actually rewatched it over the weekend and had to bump my score up because it was so Wow um yeah it's just it's such a and like the movie ends on ushers yet like uh making love in the club like that's kind of bold for sodenberg but i guess i shouldn't be too surprised because you know sodenberg does stuff like this you know with his writing and his work with characters and i think with channing tatum being older he doesn't want to do too much dancing which i can see that as well but i mean it you know it is what it is i mean it just, I wish we would have known right off the bat that it was going to be more focused on the Las Vegas Magic Mike show that we've gotten in years and not not so much with this. But I, I know you, you were pretty bored as well. Yeah, the- but to say it was focused on that show is ridiculous because they didn't allude to it. They were in fucking yeah. London trying to like take over this theater that she technically owned because of her marriage or whatever that she was going to get divorced from, but she didn't want to lose her money. It- the story is fucking awful in this movie, and no one's going to a Magic Mike movie for the story, and that's totally fine. My problem comes from, like, the first two movies, like, you can complain all you want about the quality of those movies, but you cannot say that they're boring, and this fucking movie is egregiously boring. There are, is at least 75% of this movie is just boring conversations about this dumb dance show full of dudes that we don't give a fuck about and it's like Selma Hayek and just Channing Tatum and they're talking about this show and that is the majority of this movie and I'm like who thought this was a good idea these movies made money because the women that came to see them had like something 
fun to watch and we're able to have a good time. You can't have a good time with this because it's there's no moments of fun ridiculousness. Like, where first of all, where the fuck was the crew? We get them in a Zoom call. And oh, it and I'm like, they're they're like almost half of the reason why the movies work. They're they're like even in the first movie, they barely get like flushed out. By the second movie, though, we come to know these guys and they're like fun and quirky and like they all have their own personalities and whatnot. And they're all shaking their fangs in front of the screen for all of us to see. And we're like just laughing and having fun. But then there's like 14, 15, 16 guys in this movie and you don't know a single one of their names. Yeah, uh, Joe Manigello is like insanely fun in the second movie because he has his scenes there and he gets Mm -hmm. to just like you're saying, like we get the whole bromance with all of them and we don't even get that in this one, which yeah, like you're saying that Skype call couldn't have been any more just awkward. You know, a wise man once said that Magic Mike XSL is about the boys and I don't know what Magic Mike The Last Dance is about because, I mean, okay, it's his last dance, but like his last dance was in the last movie too. So this is his second last dance. Like, what the fuck? I, I don't know, man. Uh, it's <laughs> it's all over the place. I mean, two heterosexual males having this much to complain about Magic Mike 3. Uh, <laughs> not, not super surprised about this notion, but, like, they're, they, it, they were entertaining movies until they completely dropped the ball with the third one. And realistically, I just, maybe Soderbergh wasn't the guy to come back. I can't remember the name of the guy, but whoever did Magic Mike XXL, he maybe he should have been the guy who finished it off. Well, I think it's easier uh, to get this movie like financed or going with Sodenberg's name behind it. I mean, but there, I mean, it was going to go to streaming. If it would have just landed on HBO Max, I think people would have been fine. I don't know. Like, I I don't know. I mean, we probably talked about this longer than we should for you know, <laughs> or two guys. Yeah. Just two dudes talking Just about Magic two Mike. Two dudes broing out about Magic Mike. And you know, I, actually, I mean, Gabriel Iglesias was also missed. Oh, Obviously, yeah. McConaughey's only in the first one, but there wasn't like that personality that like the woman they had as their MC was like inserted into the movie, but who the fuck even was she? Couldn't could tell you. Could not tell exactly. You. Exactly. So definitely disappointing uh yeah i mean i got really not much left to say if we're ready to uh if we're ready to shrink down oh yeah into the quantum zone um yeah uh starting this right off we got um the big one here ant-man and the wasp quantum mania kind of weird that this film gets a february release date wasn't there was something else that was originally slated for this i know movies like in the mcu swap dates all the time or shift back and forth and when i got done with this when i was driving home i was kind of like thinking what was there was another film that was supposed to come out in this slot and i don't know if it was miss marvels or not because obviously given the valentine swing of it i'm Um, not sure but yeah uh i mean i mean in the wasp uh, we got Paul Rudd returning as probably the most fitting hero 
to actor that has been cast with the MCU. I think he what unquestionably is amazing as Ant Man. What what do you what you're saying? You you're saying that All the, the actor cast fits the character best in Ant Man and not Iron Man. What I never dis I never said anything bad about Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. You I'm said saying, the best, and I'm like, Iron I'm Man saying, no, no, like it's it, this could have really fallen through the wayside if it was given one of the other options that it was for the front runners in the first movie. Like the other people that could have played this would not have given us, you know, what Paul Rudd has given us is what I'm saying. I mean, well, yeah, because he's playing himself. It's 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 delightful. Like I mean, it's yeah. it's really fun. Like, and it's even watching this movie. I mean, so for those who are coming to this not knowing what the quantum mania is you got a lot of movies to watch to catch up on but uh you have ant-man and the wasp uh hope and scott uh and you have scott trying to after years of missing uh his daughter casey he's trying to connect with her while at the same time she's more connected with uh mike uh, michael douglas and michelle pfeiffer's characters and they come to learn that they're working on uh like trying to understand the quantum mania even more and they're testing stuff and from this surprise to scott and janet they're like oh what the what the um and they're sucked into the quantum realm and what happens in the quantum realm is very interesting because you learn kane is operating down there kane the conqueror and just interesting stuff happens let's just say the least um i don't want to like do i mean there really isn't too much you can spoil from this movie but uh i certainly had a you know i didn't hate myself with it i had a pretty good time i mean every moment that um jonathan majors was able to just be you know the force of you know a marvel villain that really lacks uh, talent he does not have like he was able to really bring the big guns and it was really neat just kind of watching someone that i'm not familiar with like i know i, I text you i want to kind of get to know kane a little bit more i, I kind of wanted to rewatch that loki episode before this and i just kind of slipped through but i mean he he was just fantastic and i think the best thing that this film could have had was having a very heavy centered villain that involves what us as the audience like what kevin feige is wanting to do with the quantum realm and expanding the universe even more through space and time and like i think we got a better story than ant-man and the wasp i think this was a very fun film to look at and to kind of gel with i mean maybe on rewatch i might find things i like more the only thing that i thought was, was weird was the quantum mania people like i i don't just i don't i have no words dude like i can't describe how weird that all was i mean from you know, kind of wasting William Jackson Harper's character. Um, there was also Bill Murray, but w William Jackson Harper is like probably one of the more um, under-recognized actors working in Hollywood because he's mostly been a part of TV shows. But he was, he was, he was. Um, if you don't recognize him from The Good Place, you will recognize him from Insomar. But I, I thought going into this, a lot of people were, were spreading the rumors that he was going to be Mister Fantastic. However didn't that that was not the case at all because he was just someone that was kind of wasted and much like the bill murray character you can say that but there was uh apparently like a conversation with casey the actress uh Catherine newton who was 
with Bill Murray and she kind of just asked him if he wanted to be in a in a Marvel movie and he was like yeah sure and so like they kind of obviously filmed the stuff what looks to be a one day kind of swift but it, it's an interesting film certainly so with the characters involved um you don't really do you get an understanding of what's to come for the MCU with this you get uh some of the best stuff that Paul Rudd has been able to give Scott Lane because this is a more of an emotional response because now his daughter is kind of taking on the superhero persona herself and wanting to help people for a better good and teaching Scott like you know it's not you can't just think of it as you you have to think of it as everyone like that's why you were an Avenger to begin with and so there's a lot of scenes where Paul Rudd is able to really do the best I mean there's there's a moment where I think is one of the better Ant-Man scenes is when he's getting close to uh, the uh, the objective he's trying to steal, the core he's trying to steal, and you get these multiple Ant-Man that kind of spin off from possibilities. <laughs> and it's a fun scene, and I think the movie kind of hits the tone good on that. Uh, there is still some really wacky visual effects, but... I I don't want to really press too much on it because I've expressed myself already enough on that area, but I I, uh, I think everything we kind of got was really neat. And as long as we kind of know the power that Jonathan Majors is going to bring towards every version of Kane, um, variant wise, I, I I'm gonna be excited for it. I I am. I mean, it could have been a worse start for Phase Five. I don't think it could have been. I was actually expecting this movie to be worse, but it wasn't. Um, so yeah, I mean. It, it is weird uh, seeing after the, the third run of it for Michael Douglas being in this movie, knowing just the kind of the power he had in the 80s and 90s and same with Michelle Pfeiffer. I mean, I could talk about her for a long time, but, you know, we don't we have other things to do today. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's it's a Marvel movie. Interesting to say enough. It's this is never the character that makes the big bucks, but I think it's going to make exactly what they want. Um I mean, I gotta say, like you're. I totally agree. Good movie. I don't. I still there. Marvel MCU doesn't make bad movies. They make movies like this that are definitely mixed bags because obviously there are things that like are like a little bit weirder. But at the end of the day, I feel like this is the third Ant Man movie, and the tone of the movie is true to those Ant Man movies. So it doesn't feel like a lot of people are saying it doesn't feel like just the Kang introduction plus Ant-Man. It feels like an Ant-Man movie that is also introducing Kang. And that was going to be the most important thing I needed it to be going into this movie. Cause I was also a bit worried. I mean, there are issues like I had that are more funny. Like there, yes, there were ants, but there weren't nearly enough ants in my opinion. And I obviously, I get you, you're in a quantum realm. You can't, maybe there's whatever. There needed to be more ants in the movie. Uh, also, where was Luis? Where the hell was Michael Pena? They could have yeah, definitely yeah. given him something yeah. to do in this movie. No problem. He was one of the most entertaining part of the other two Ant Man movies, and he was just you completely get to see written Randall off. Park. Yeah. 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 They were like, Jimmy Woo's fine. Why couldn't he also be at that lunch table? That's a good point. And they brought David Dismalchin back to play one of those, like, that weird red goo creature instead of the Russian guy. But again, they couldn't bring back Michael Pena. What the fuck? Anyways. But, those, I mean, like, besides those two issues that I had that are more comedic issues, but 
I, I would say, I mean, it just takes on so much and I get it. But uh, the, what like, again, I always came back to when I was writing down my notes was the fact that like, it still feels like an Ant-Man movie. They still have the shrinking fighting mechanic down to a T to make it look cool and, and still use it in like fans, like fascinatingly unique ways. So that's great. The characters are still great. The relationship with the family is still great. I think them calling it Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is just a carryover from the last one because, once again, Hope Van Dyne gets not nearly enough to do because Evangeline Lilly is fantastic, and she's also she's kind of just there a lot of the movie, which is another issue. I thought Catherine Newton was good. I think what she did the best was play Scott Lang's daughter in the sense that, like, she plays... Cassie as like a female version of Scott Lang in in where she's kind of just happy to be there and doesn't really know what she's doing and that's kind of how Scott Lang has been in every movie he's been in and he kind of just lucks into success and this is the same way they were playing Cassie so I think that's great but the dynamic between father daughter was kind of like iffy at points it, it didn't really totally get me and like obviously he built a much better relationship with that much younger actor in the first uh two movies but with the blip and the the events of endgame we had to age her up and i don't know why they had to recast her between endgame and now because i don't think that Catherine newton did anything special that the other actors could have done but that's besides the point i still think she was good and then there is obviously kang fucking Jonathan Majors is the guy to have be the imposing force of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. I mean, his gravitas and his just like demeanor alone is it, it's it's scary enough and like it works. So I cannot wait to keep seeing him uh, throughout these next couple of movies and this next two phases and will definitely be excited anytime he pops up. Um, you already mentioned Bill Murray, and, like, I agree that, like, all those characters are kind of, like, very just inserted, kind of like they didn't quite fit in there, but they kind of pushed it in there to just kind of jam-pack. They really didn't need to have the whole rebellion scene. I do like Bill Murray. Bill Murray's scene can stay because, like, it's re- the ve- it was really funny the the they, how they established, like, Janet was there for 30 years. Maybe there was, like, something thing, and then they just were like, yeah. So I I love that part, and obviously I love Bill Murray. He can be in anything he wants. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say was the visual effects is what I see a lot of people complaining about online. I see a lot of rhetoric saying that this is the worst-looking Marvel movie of all, and I'm like, dude, it's it's a quantum realm that is totally up to the imagination of the creative minds behind this movie, and I thought it looked weird and unique. It kept reminding me of the movie Strange World, how it's just like this omnipotent, like not even, it's like a combination of natural and extraterrestrial, but because like it is, you're still on earth. You're just really small inside of like a contained universe in, that is so microscopic, you can't see it. Like I thought a lot of it looked good. There were definitely parts that didn't look good. And reminded me of a Robert Rodriguez film, specifically Shark Boy and Lava Girl, which I will I'm about to get into, but I thought overall the visuals and the scenery and the the locations and the way they were making these environments look 
and the creature design and all that was super unique, super creative, and I really liked that. Uh, and then we got Modok, which oh yeah, I forgot him. So excited to talk about this. I have been wanting Modok inside the MCU for a very long time. He is an outrageous character in the comic books. The this mechanized, uh, I can't even remember. It's something for killing, designed only for killing. But the way I. I'm I'm very happy with the way they implemented the retcon of the character, making him Darren Cross and having him be this thing because he shrunk down into the quantum realm and they destroyed his suit and whatnot. I I love that. Uh, it is totally disturbing when we see his face and and or any more of his body for that matter, but. I, it's just unsettling. And if maybe if they would have kept the mask down, it would have been okay and just had his voice because his voice was perfect for it. Because jumping from like how he can be like screaming angry and like also just like weirdly conniving, jump between those two, that's very Modoc. Because in the comics, even Modoc is never taken totally seriously because of just how ridiculous the concept of his character is. But and I like how they did that in this movie. They never take it totally seriously, but they also make him a pretty imposing force that they keep having to deal with throughout. So there are highs and lows. I like this whole movie had like its ups and downs. And I think at the end of the day, it lands in the positive uh, section of the Venn diagram only because of how well the characters were able to keep uh, the the comedy up and keep the tone and emotion up how well this fits in with the other two movies. Like I said, no matter how weird this movie gets and it gets very weird, it still feels like an Ant-Man movie, like those first two heist movies that we saw, but only in this weirder world. And yeah, I mean, the last thing I'll mention is it did, it felt very reminiscent of something from Rick and Morty. And that makes sense because one of the main writers on this film was a writer on Rick and Morty. And after I learned that, it made total sense. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I understand the whole like we had to make the quantum main, the quantum room, I guess, look a little like this. I mean, it's it's uh, people were like comparing this like this is Marvel's Star Wars, which I I get. Um, and I think after maybe I think I mean, that's a weird comparison. It, it is, it is. Uh, but I get like why people would would say that. Uh, I think after maybe. 10 15 minutes in the quantum realm and like learning how this is that world and how weird it is to kind of accept it um but yeah once kane takes over like it is just a force uh the spoilers ahead you can skip however far you need to but um the two in credit scenes are probably the best we've gotten from marvel in quite some time uh they're just easily showing us that what these kane variants are going to be uh, responsible of and are able to pull off and i mean loki's been one of the best marvel shows we've had getting a lot more focus on that in season two Spoilers. is going to be amazing um and then well i'm not saying who he's playing but and then the other one where like the people that have exiled him they meet the council or whatever and like we see multiple versions of of kane they look weird but i i think um when it's more explained and thought out, it's going to make sense. And it's, it, you're just going to, I guess, recognize it for that. So I got, I got nothing, nothing more to say there. There is talks though, that um, an Ant-Man four is very possible. 
given uh, what success it's going to have this weekend. Which I'm I'm Chase just happy that Chase was wrong again. Whoa! And Ant Man didn't die. Spoiler. Oh, alert. oh gosh. He's yeah. He's every wrong. movie that comes out nowadays, yeah. he's gonna be like, oh, the main character is gonna die. Thor's gonna movie. die. They're gonna kill he's him. Gonna die. They're, he's gonna be. He's, they're gonna be dead. No. <laughs> like, why would they do that? They've killed. They've they kill their heroes off after they've earned their deaths. But yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Do you wanna? I, this will uh we'll just beeline right into our theme of the week. And since yesterday was Van- Valentine's Day, both of our absolute favorite holidays. Am I right, Brent? Yeah, fuck these things. This, this, <laughs> yeah. Overrated. Any yeah. I mean like why why choose why choose one day to significantly love your your significant other or your spouse or whatever you're you're with, and then rather just like acknowledge that every day of the year, like fuck me, right? Like, oh wow, yeah. If it was that easy, folks. Anyways. Well, what a perfect transition into our theme, which is romantic films. <laughs> yeah. For uh, like, as our friend calls this forever alone February. Jesus. One day for him, I promise. But anyways, how about you go uh go ahead and give yours first? Um yeah, so this is quite on the spot. But I mean, I'm not gonna pick uh the lovely ones here. I'm gonna pick. Um, well, I mean, I could. I could do that as an honorable mention. Um, I'm just gonna go with a personal favorite of mine that I don't really think I've talked about on this pod. If I have, um, maybe the the producers can can follow that back up on previous audio tapes. Um, but I I haven't watched this one yet, but I still plan on uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, I think that this film actually kind of resembles pretty perfectly for any individual that has like really not found their significant other because there's going to be moments where you relive those i guess you could say highlights or those memories of those positive ones but if you haven't seen this movie this is gonna be right up that alley especially for single folks um this film uh definitely from the mind of charlie kaufman who is already very um creative uh in his own areas but uh this movie stars jim carrey and kate winslet so it's no surprise why i like this so much and it's also boosted with the likes of christian dunce mark ruffalo tom wickelson elijah wood there's even a bit bits with david cross but mm-hmm. this film is just it's it's about a um about jim carrey who learns that his girlfriend former ex which is kate winslet had him erased from her memory so he decides to go and do the same However, as he watches her fade away, he realizes that he actually kind of loves her still and that he wants to try and correct on those mistakes. And everything that unfolds is honestly very beautiful. And just the way, like how this screenplay works, that's one of my favorites because it's just very much to the heart. And you kind of fall victim to a lot of the stuff that's happening because everyone can kind of go through these patches. And I just really love... I mean, I've been a part like Jim character, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey has really been, you know, a a staple with my youth. And so like growing up and realizing that he's able to kind of do something this serious and, and actually, you know, be sincere towards the drama, the drama genre. And then you have Kate Winslet, who I've been, you know, sipping on since Rose. I, I think this is everything that I've I've wanted and couldn't have asked for more. There's so many films that fit this area, but I think this is 
um easily probably it's my, one of my mount rushmore films of all time i just I, I love this one to keep it close to me and it's just it's, it's perfect i mean it really 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 is okay i know you got me to make you got me to watch that one a while ago yeah it crushes mm-hmm. well i thought you were gonna go more vague which was why I wanted you to go first because I had a good leading for my bit. But you went with a pick that definitely people have seen. I mean, obviously, I you got me to watch it, and when I did, I was pretty blown away with how it's, yeah, it's a romantic movie, but it's also a movie that keeps you guessing, not really in a, like, a mystery kind of way, but like they're not just like, oh, she erased you from your mind. Like it, it, it keeps you it asking, or it, ha- it makes you ask questions throughout the runtime about like really what's going on, and that keeps you engaged not only because of their relationship, but because of that. But I think I went a little bit more of the traditional rom com route. In fact, I think I picked maybe the movie that anyone would d- pick when it's. If you say rom-com, what movie comes to your mind, Brent? Period. Just like first movie. No, okay. But like, besides that. Uh, Honestly, probably Titanic. I'm kidding. Uh, But like rom-com is more like... Like the rom-com. Well, my other pick was going to be When Harry Met Sally. And that is what I watched, folks. Well, I, I got I actually received a, D, a Blu-ray <laughs> copy of this movie for Christmas from our good friend of the podcast and host of the Real Views podcast, Blaine Ward. And it was the first time I ever watched this movie, actually. Obviously, I had oh, seen the icon- I've seen the more than iconic uh, deli scene, obviously, that I'll have what she's having. Dude, I, uh, I'm not going to lie. Like, I literally maybe- was about. I was about to pick that, and then I changed the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So you, yeah, this man over here was like, "I'm gonna pick an obscure one that no one's ever seen." That's what he told me. I was supposed to you are. But I mean, this movie is beautifully directed by Rob Reiner. It's about how, like, they like it's about a, all about a relationship between a man and a woman, and how they can or cannot be friends because of the sexual tension that is inherently between male and female people in friendships. And I think what I absolutely loved about this rom-com is that like you think of this as the quintessential rom-com, but it also subverts a lot of the tropes of your normal rom-com. You have a movie where our two main characters don't actually actively pursue their relationship romantically for almost 12 years of them knowing each other throughout this movie we we have multiple massive time jumps and we see them going through different relationships over and over again and this whole movie is kind of like a dissection and like a like it's it's deconstructing the idea of love and relationships and like what it could mean and be to various different people and like how we know and how they would react to the relationships and and the end of a relationship and the the differences between that and human beings and whatnot like all of these things it's talking about in this movie while also being funny and endearing and romantic and uh, like there are moments where you're like oh my god just get together already like by the end of this movie there there have been plenty of movies where by the end of the movie, you have someone running after the loved one and they're like, have to like bust into the event that they're in and then convey their love. This is one of the first rom-coms I've ever watched that 
earns that moment at the end where he's running through Manhattan and got it has to get to the New Year's Eve party and he just can like conveys all of his true feelings to her and she's like what the fuck do you expect me to do with that bro like that's real that's like it like it is earned because of how they were establishing who these people are throughout the entire movie and I think that was awesome and I mean Rob Reiner is one of those directors where if you get him at his peak when it comes to like this or stand by me or I mean, Princess Bride was on my list of movies I was thinking about picking. And then I saw this one on my shelf and I was like, oh, it's finally time. But he he knows how to like just infuse these movies with this this romantic energy that just works like from start to finish. It's just charisma of of these two characters. And. I mean, the movie doesn't work. There's it's just like it has an infectious charm. It's delightful. It's a rom it's a romantic comedy classic. So I mean, I'm glad I finally watched it. Yeah, that's uh that's a cinematic blind spot that I've ever heard one. Mm-hmm. Well not anymore. Uh, yeah. I, I watched this one actually a couple weeks ago. Um when the when it first kind of started in the morning. And yeah, like I mean, this was Billy Crystal being at the highest of Billy Crystal and then the world being kind of introduced to Meg Ryan, who was just like this beautiful sensation. That like everyone just wanted to be with and it was it was kind of like i mean i don't they never even like worked again with each other which is kind of shocking but rob reiner really directs a pretty like big um you know with what this genre is like he was able to kind of capture all of it within one and for a short runtime as it is it definitely uh captures everything that it set out sets out to be Great supporting characters, though, with Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby. I mean, I, th- I think it's really funny when they go on the date and they find out that they're actually kind of liking each other more. Dude, that's one of my favorite moments in the film because it kind of just proves it's like no matter how much you try to, like, establish a relationship with someone, there's always going to be, like, an underlying feeling. If you have, if like, if that is there between two people, like, no matter how much you try to force it away, it still lingers and like sometimes the universe just tells you what's meant to be and you don't know how to read that and i that's i there are so many moments like this in this movie that like make you think about like oh have has this ever happened to me type stuff it's pretty crazy weird yeah. <laughs> um well i mean we can kind of close it off with uh recommendations if if nothing we've said already was a recommendation enough right uh, i i guess i should keep it outside of the realm of um sad hopeless not romantic <laughs> oh oh see what have i watched recently that would be well, that i'll i'll go oh, I'll, got- go, I'll go back a couple of weeks as i watched almost famous for the first time after talking oh about God, it the other day so many cinematic yeah. blast dude that's what that's what i've been doing since 2016 that is just it's called it. play it's called watching movies that like other people say are good chase <laughs> anyways um no i mean almost famous almost famous is a film in the genre of coming of age films which for me is one of the most related like even i'm almost 28 now and they like I still love the like young person coming of age genre because I feel it's still so relatable. And 
a movie about a kid who gets to go off with its fa- with one of his favorite rock bands and live the rock star lifestyle and learn about all this and like f- have do drugs and fuck girls like that's so many kids dreams and the way that this movie doesn't glorify that but also shows you how that actually could have a f- mental impact on not only the kid but like all the people around them it was pretty fucking brilliant. The music is more than fantastic. Jason Lee is actually a standout in this movie, which I never knew he was in this, and he makes a huge impact. Uh, Billy Crudup does an amazing job in this movie as well. Uh, and, I mean, Kate Hudson is, I mean, she is Penny Lane, and it's one of the most iconic performances, I think, in films of this era. So I don't know. I mean, like, her her face is the poster, and it's one of the most iconic film posters as well so i highly recommend that highly recommend that if you haven't seen it and i mean i've just been in a really rock and roll mood lately all the music i'm listening to right now is like 80s 70s 60s rock and roll and that's almost exclusively it you don't say um so mine's gonna be like probably a little bit farther on the spectrum of uh recommend like how, how to recommend something to somebody but as great like as like you know, upwarming and like feel good as almost famous is. But uh I recently rewatched uh film given that it's on its um twenty fifth anniversary. Hold on, let me see the exact match. Not twenty fifth. <laughs> Jeez. Um hold on. Bear with me. Good. We're at its forty seventh anniversary. <laughs> uh no, um taxi driver. I rewatched that that a couple weeks ago because I haven't seen it in probably fucking a long-ass time. And knowing that we're gearing closely to a new project with Scorsese and Robert De Niro, slowly knocking those off. But like Taxi Driver is just one of those films where you can kind of see how other filmmakers have incorporated the character study to their films. Um, It is, I mean, Robert De Niro is just ridiculous ridiculously like a crowning achievement of like this guy has it he is going to be something this was like his third film his first like big one he did this to say like this and like he just won the oscar for godfather part two and then he comes in taxi driver not a big box office sensation but people knew him and they knew what to come and i think this is just one of the biggest like breakdown of a character and i forgot uh the last like five minutes of the movie and like what happens there um it's it's just really well done i think Mm -hmm. it gets looked at badly for its poor taste of like like it has this people's poor taste on like oh well it's he's a a bad guy and like he does very evil shit but like i i think it has a bad rap for that because it what it portrays and kind of understands in terms of mental illness and how an unstable person can like be in terms of what is bad to you and what is good to him. Like, I think that we're on the wrong side of things like that. And I think this movie is just um, really great. I mean, so Scorsese really shoots the nightlife of New York city in a way that kind of hasn't been done in some time. And it's, I mean, it's ah, dude, it's really good. Like I forgot, like it is really good. Um, It was hard to take my eyes away. Um, And it just, it got uh got very very young Jodie Foster in this movie as well, um and it's I mean it's Hey-o. heavy hitter yeah um I don't know I mean 
we we uh well we gotta rewatch it i don't own this movie which uh. is a surprise i need to buy this <laughs> that's why i rewatched it because i didn't own it and it was one of those where like fuck it's on hbo i gotta watch it like right now so uh, I've never seen yeah it. yeah they'll do it yeah i've never well seen um it. i've never seen taxi driver uh well geez more cinematic blind spots folks yes, uh sir. Yeah, just like how I've never eliminating seen them. them one a at a time. Um. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for for us, folks. Uh, stick around. Don't stick around. <laughs> stay around. Jesus Christ. Uh. Yeah. Bye.